Welcome back to Theory and Theology. Here on this podcast, we talk about um, religion, spirituality, culture. Um, I want to go into a bit of history. Um, So what's been sparking this is, you know, from time to time, I like to know about certain cultural events going on in areas that that I go to, such as um, like downtown LA, the South Bay of LA, um, West LA, um, Hollywood area, San Bernardino, where I do some snowboarding up there, um, down in, you know, San Diego, sometimes Orange County, um, and, you know, I, was coming across this history of, you know, an area that I'm often around, you know, the South Bay area of Los Angeles. And so regarding the history of Rancho San Pedro, the history of Rancho San Pedro. So Rancho San Pedro um, is basically the area that you know, when you look it up today, it's called Rancho Palos Verdes Peninsula, San Pedro, Torrance, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, um, those areas mostly. Um, so names that come up surrounding those areas would be like Sepulveda, um, Dominguez. I mean, these are these are names like in Spanish, right? Uh, from Spain. And so when you start thinking about the history of these areas, a lot of times, you know, in American history, we kind of start with, you know, you know, when did the, you know, when did the Spanish come in? When did the, um, I don't know what other groups, but, you know, mostly the Spanish, like in, in this kind of region in, in Southern California, um, but I like to take it back before that too, because there were definitely people living, you know, in those areas far before the Spanish came anywhere near. Um, and so I find that interesting. And also, it's also interesting how hard it is to find the history about that. Um, so just starting at the part where the, um, where Rancho San Pedro was um, kind of starting to get developed. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that, but then also definitely want to talk about the history before that. So if you look up the Rancho San Pedro area, it's a very beautiful area. The majority, I don't know about the majority, but a lot of it is coastal, very beautiful cliffs, um, ocean, you know, nice beaches. Um, I mean, it's a part of LA that's not like too many other parts of LA because you're still relatively nearby, like kind of like the 91 freeways, 110 freeways, LAX. It's like south of LAX, north of Long Beach. Um, You're not really nearby a freeway if you're all the way at the coast, but it's still a very beautiful area, kind of hidden. Like, most people don't, like, when they think about L.A., they don't really think about that area. A lot of people, unless it's, like, Christmas shopping and stuff like that, or for, like, Japanese food, or just, like, a coastal area that's not so populated. Like, the beaches in, like, Palos Verdes, Torrance, Redondo Beach, um, San Pedro, they don't tend to be super packed, like, Venice Beach, Santa Monica, um, those types of beaches, like, uh, Doc Weiler, uh, definitely not as packed as, like, like, San Diego beaches, like, like, Ocean Beach and Pacific Beach and Mission Beach and those areas, like, like, you know, um, you can find parking easily in these other areas, some of it's meter parking, some of it's, 
uh, residential parking if you're just like on the other side of the main streets. Um, there's plenty of parking. It, it's, it's you know, it's L.A., so it's still populated, but it's a very cool uh, part of L.A. Because, you know, when you're there, you don't really have to be popping into other areas of L.A. Like, you can just stay there and chill, and the weather's good. You're not too far inland because, you know, inland is hotter. You're coastal. Um, very ideal type of place to want to be at in modern times. Um, even visiting or just hanging out, it's it's pretty chill compared to most parts of of um, L.A. And it's known a lot for like beaches, shopping, food, like restaurants, um, a whole lot of shopping centers, gigantic malls, a lot of like beach culture. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's different. You're not paying twenty five dollar parking, like at Venice Beach. You know, you're not. You know, you don't have airplanes coming over like at Dockweiler. Like you're not. It's not like at beaches like in San Diego where you can drive and drive and drive and be looking for parking for like a really long time. Like it's it's really nice area to be at. So um when you look at the history of Rancho San Pedro, it includes all the all those kind of areas in the South Bay of LA. Um or sometimes they're called beach the beach cities area. Um and so they say that it was the first area where land grants in California were being given um and this was like in the late 1700s and so you know there were definitely people living there before um and during that time before like the 1700s there were um they were establishing missions so if you're if you're used to like the San Gabriel Valley area um you know there's a lot of missions out that way there's a lot of missions south like when you're going towards uh San Diego and in San Diego there's a lot of missions like southern california has a lot of missions um and, you know you still see the terminology around like the tortillas and stuff like that but i mean missions weren't necessarily like a positive part of history in california um they're definitely a part of the history for sure but it's not necessarily like a glamorous like oh these people were like you know like basically people were forced onto missions and it was a form of like uh control of the indigenous populations uh by the spanish um, and it's always interesting, you know, in Southern, in, in Southern California, a lot of the names, a lot of the street names, terminology, you know, is, uh, like street names, city names, little area names, a lot of it is in Spanish, you know, and it's a very interesting thing. Um, and even a lot of Mexico, you know, a lot of it is Spanish speaking like Spanish is has definitely you know come a long distance up the coast of the west coast of North North America um through I think probably almost the majority of California it seems like at least Southern California for sure and East um but yeah, so talking more about that, um, so it was said that, you know, the history of Rancho San Pedro, um, so Rancho San Pedro was given to a, mil like, basically a, mil technically like a military veteran, it was his, uh, retirement deed of, uh, uh, it was a lot of land that he was given, like all those cities I mentioned. It was a lot of area that is currently those cities. And if you look at like bordering areas like the Dominguez, like when you see the name Dominguez, like Dominguez Hills and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a university over there, Cal State Dominguez Hills. Um, it's in technically what's Carson, California right now. It borders Torrance. Um and 
Dominguez, like something popular over there at the university is the uh, sports stadium. I don't know what it's called now. I know it used to be called... I don't remember what it used to be called either, but it's where the LA Galaxy's home is. Like after they left from the Rose Bowl, the LA Galaxy and the uh, Chivas USA, that was their stadium at Cal State Dominguez Hills uh, University and in that Dominguez area. Um, So you see those names a lot. And so that's kind of like, you know, I don't need to go into like the whole history of the Spanish uh, coming in and how all those areas were formed. I do want to talk some more about um, the stuff that happened before that. Um, Before um, Rancho San Pedro. And so, you know, I'm going to post about that as well. And, you know, these were basically lands. They were given land grants. And mind you, land grants or deeds to land or, you know, whatever it's called, like retirement benefit of land like there were already people there like there were people already like living there like these weren't just like open free places for people to just like okay we have this land you can go live there it's like it's kind of weird when you think of it and it's a little creepy um I mean I I, you know I have mixed feelings you know because in modern day it's like you know we can't go back in time we can't bring back people who were slaughtered we can't bring back people from genocides you know um but that's definitely part of the history you know hanging out in certain areas you know sometimes I do like to delve into like huh why is all this stuff in Spanish and like what does it mean and what's the history of it like I spend so much time you know or even in Torrance in in general too like one of the the biggest populations of Japanese um businesses and people living there um, of Japanese descent and, you know, the history of World War II and all kinds of other things like that. It's like, you know, it's just like hidden history that we're never really taught. And, you know, Los Angeles, San Diego, Orange County, you know, these Southern California places are rich of so much history. San Bernardino as well. Um, just rich of so much history where we don't really get to learn about it. Like, we hear about, like, usually about from this point where I'm starting to talk, you know, the history of Rancho San Pedro or the history of whatever mission area was established or the history of, like, the people who were the white people that settled the area after the Spanish people were there and, like, all this kind of stuff. Like, we don't really get to hear about the people that were there before that. Um... And it kind of piqued my interest because, I, you know, when I hear about um, local powwows going on, um, I like to kind of use that opportunity to kind of learn about, you know, oh, okay, it's a powwow and it's like this, you know, tribe of people or like band of people and, you know, um, they're still living there, you know, they're still, you know, there, um, you know, it's technically local, you know, a drivable distance, less than two hours, you know, it's like usually like an hour away if you're driving from like places in LA to San Bernardino and, you know, there's a, there's a history there and, you know, we never really taught about it. We never really learn about it, but it's there. I mean, it's, uh, quiet, it's hidden, it's hidden in plain sight, that's kind of how I see it, it's like, there's still people who are holding their traditions and cultural practices right in the middle of, you know, September 2022, doing their thing, you know, with their families, people traveling in, doing all these traditional things, and, you know, it's easy to sit around LA and just be like, oh, like, or who's like, are the Chargers playing, or the Rams playing, or the Dodgers playing, or the Angels playing down in Anaheim? Like, who's playing where? You know, what's what's going on? You know, like, you know, what concerts are coming through? Like, you know, what's going on at the beach? How's the surf? You know, like, can we get a bonfire going? You know, and it's like, meanwhile there's all these like cultures around us that have been here before the rest of us even got here however we ended up getting 
here. Um, you know, there was a lot that went on that wiped out entire populations of people that were living here, like nations of people, basically. Like, these areas were fully populated with a lot of culture and a lot of, um, uh, you know, architecture, a lot of knowledge about fishing, farming, uh, cultivating the earth, a lot of knowledge about, you know, how to you know, sustain families and travel from place to place and, um, you know, interact with other types of tribes and groups of people and different kind of, like, agreements that that people had and different hierarchies and leaderships and, you know, just all this kind of stuff that, you know, is a huge, huge part, I feel, of our culture in the U.S. that, you know, we just ignore and I I think we ignore it because we don't know about it and we're not taught about it and we're not told to think about it um you know I pretty much encourage anybody you know who is interested in in different types of history of types of peoples you know go ahead into YouTube or whatever social media you frequent and start searching around about stuff And then see what starts getting recommended to you. I feel like that's one of the easiest ways to learn about stuff, you know, because then stuff starts popping up in your in your recommendations, not just like whatever's trending and whatever is popular or whatever sports are going on or whatever events are going on. You know, you can learn easily that way. And, you know, I think it's um, worth learning about, really, like not not necessarily in a way to like shame anybody of like, oh, your culture got taken over, or your culture was the one that was, like, killing everybody, like, you know, I'm not saying it's not important and to ignore it, but also it's, like, not to create tension about it, but to, you know, learn about, about how we all got to where we're at, you know, like, there's a bigger backstory to a lot of our lives, um, even if some of us were kind of, you know, um, kind of more in a passive role of things and we just kind of showed up and like all right I'm just gonna live here you know maybe your ancestors weren't directly involved um with some of these regions um but also it's like the history is deep and there's information there um I think it's important you know and you know it's 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 a bittersweet kind of fun like if you really like learning it's a fun way to learn about the history of places where you go, places where you do live, places where you have lived. Those are the easiest places to start because you can recognize the names, you can recognize like, oh, like this name sticks better because like, like when I hear Rancho San Pedro, it's like I think of what we call San Pedro, which is an area by like Cabrillo and there's like a, like the beach is like a little secluded beach over there, a nice little city that's definitely got a lot of Spanish uh, culture to it with the architecture and everything and it's in LA you would never think you know but it's um just north of Long Beach and it's coastal it's not very well known um and it's it's a very cool spot and you know it's you know again like not really to like make people feel bad about things on either side on any side of things but um, just to know and learn. And, you know, I think a lot of times we do, um, not give ourselves the full experience of, you know, the history of our lives and the history of our own progress and success. You know, none of us are able to get where we're at if we didn't have housing in certain areas and schools in certain areas and ability to get into those schools and get certain jobs and, do certain stuff but you know the way we do things now is not the way things were being done you know even sometimes before the 1700s like you know and before um 1492 um like there's a there's a documentary I was watching let me see if I can find the name it was called like something like before 1491 or 1491 and before, or something like that, I don't know the name, I'm trying to look up the name now, um, 
1491. Um, once I find it, I'm going to end this and get back to um, the next part I want to talk about. But it's called, it's from the channel Timeline-World History Documentaries. It's called The History of the Americas Before Columbus. 1491 colon complete series timeline so it's about a three hour documentary broken up into about three or four uh, 45 minute uh, sections Um, all is just one long video and you know it's kind of like not too much a docudrama it has like little docudrama portions a lot of the anthropologists and people speaking are from the certain native groups that they're talking about about the different um um topics like when they start talking about maize or you know potatoes or um dwellings or you know, fishing or whatever, like, they talk to different types of professionals that are from certain tribes from the areas, and so that's pretty cool to see, um, and, you know, they have names, like, you know, tribal names, like, tribal groups that I've never even heard of before, um, you know, we often hear about, like, the Sioux, the Cherokee, the Iroquois, like, and so on, like, there's a lot of groups that we hear about, and there's a lot that we just never really hear a thing about. Um, this is kind of just a general episode, but um, some other things I do want to record on is like um, in San Bernardino, the San Marcos Reservation. Um, also, like some of the genocide information about Turtle Island um, and John Trudeau. Is it John Trudeau? I think it's Trudeau. Trudeau is the last name. Um, in like Ottawa. Um, and I think I've talked about this before, how I really like the uh, YouTube channel called... Oh, it's not YouTube, sorry. It's uh, isuma.tv. I-S-U-M-A dot TV. So it's... Um, I think it's... Uh, mostly like indigenous groups from like Alaska and certain places in um, Canada Um, and it's basically just like their their, media where they can upload their own like language and there's some talks on there of some elderly people who are um, speaking about um Um, like their history of being in the mission, like in the, in the reservation schools. And, um, I mean, the only one I've ever been to is in Holbrook in Arizona. And I didn't even learn a whole lot about it, but the history that I learned, I was like, oh man, like it's an Adventist school. And the history that I learned about it just about the area like it's mostly Navajo not only Navajo but it's mostly Navajo um and Chinle is nearby there's a there's a YouTube there's a Netflix uh movie I think it's on YouTube as well about Chinle it's uh it's the documentary is about um like high school basketball players on the reservation in, in Chinle, um, and how, like, basketball's really popular there, and, you know, they get a lot of support from their community, and then they're going up against these other schools, and, like, the prejudices they face, and the barriers that they face coming from where they come from, and everything, um, and just how they're able to, you know, perform and present themselves and everything, and, you know, um, so, you know, some of the, some of the kids that I met when I was at the, when I got to visit the Holbrook, um, I think it's called Holbrook Indian School or something like that, um, it's an Adventist school, and it's, um, in Arizona, and, yeah, I got to visit it, and, you know, 
they talk about the history of you know kind of a more recent history that there are a lot of people that are there that are kids that are there that are mostly not mostly I don't know the I don't know the percentage but they say it's not uncommon for some families who can't really afford to care for their kids to use it almost similar to like an orphanage and the tuition's very low I can't recall how much but I want to say like 45 bucks or something it's very low tuition and there's room board uh school trades uh for the older kids and um um I think the age ranges that we saw were like age ranges like five years old to like almost 18 or so um so if you can think about boarding at a school at five years old I mean, I don't know of many boarding schools in the U.S. that are like that. Like, I've heard of ones in China that are like that. Like, where parents might send their kids to, like, live um, for a long period of time. But, like, at the school. But I've never heard of, um, like, American boarding schools. Usually you're in high school. You're not usually in... Like, even European ones, you might be in, like, junior high. But usually when you're very young, you're not, like, running around at five years old, like, at a boarding school. Like, that's not, you know, you're still, like, clinging to your parents and stuff. You're, like, you know, developmentally, attachment-wise, you're still, you know, too, I think, too young to be doing that. But, I mean, also, for some people, it's like, what option do they have, really? Like, if, if... they know their kids gonna get taken care of um but that's just modern I mean those those schools weren't formed for like modern you know education like they are now like they're they were formed to basically um erase you know the culture and traumatize a lot of families a lot of the kids a lot of those kids who went to those schools during different time periods when the rules weren't really as humane um or were not there the rules were not humane I'll put it that way um and the kids who went through those schools you know they came out to be parents and having a lot of trauma from that and that's kind of like the generations that I got to interact with were a lot of the ones whose parents had gone through reservational reservation schools um and other types of like history of trauma and how their you know relatives and grandparents parents great grandparents how they were treated i mean when you think of it it wasn't that long ago um it really was not that long ago um that these things were happening and you know it's like it was here in the US in Canada um i mean it's happened all over the world honestly and it's pretty gross but um i don't know if the rules are changing for the better necessarily it's becoming more like from what it sounds like more so corporations are kind of um, creating systemic issues on top of all the other trauma that's not getting treated and other history and problems and injustices and all this kind of stuff. Um, like, I don't want to focus just on, like, all the negative aspects of it because, you know, people are resilient. And, you know, I like studying different groups of people to see kind of where they um, where they stand today and how they got to where they are now, um, there are still a lot of people surviving, even though, unfortunately, a lot of, lot, a lot of, lot of tons of people were lost, so, um, I do kind of want to get into what I know about those types of stories from what I've been learning, but it's not, like, too comprehensive, um, you know, I've been learning about this stuff here and there, off and on. Some of it's been review for me. Some of it's been just relearn, like learning new stuff for this weekend. But um, it's you know, I always tend to learn more than than before because you know, 
even considering the amount of cultural related classes I've taken about different indigenous groups and things, um, you know, I'm still lacking in knowledge and putting together the pieces. But yeah, I mean, it's easiest for me to start with the groups of people that or the the land areas um, that I'm familiar with nowadays and the groups of people who kind of lived there before because a lot of the names kind of come up like I mentioned before in San Diego you know there's like Teclody Canyon and Kuaipei Peak I mean these are places that I would go all the time and you know those names are not Spanish and they're not English so they're from other groups of people and you know, even Sequan out there, um, East and, um, you know, San Diego has a lot of, um, history of, you know, indigenous Americans and, um, you know, we're also not taught any of that. It's just, you know, I just notice it. I I just notice and I look around and try to keep my eyes open and I'm kind of like, okay, how am I, you know, in a city with, like, so much Japanese business and so many Caucasian people and everything's in Spanish, you know? Or how am I in a city where there's all these trail names that aren't any language that I've ever even heard before in my life, but everybody speaks English and Spanish, and then there's Vietnamese people around and, you know, um, all these different groups of people around, and you're just kind of like, how'd they get here? you know, what's going on, you know, like, like, why are there so many Vietnamese people in this pocket, you know, like, I'll go to, like, McDonald's, or, you know, a coffee shop, or a boba shop, and, you know, there's all these, like, elderly Vietnamese people just kicking it with each other, um, during the Rona, I saw people bringing out lawn chairs, and they would sit in the little grass, you know, the little grass island spaces in, like, the plaza parking lot, and they would just be chilling, have little tables out, playing cards, playing different games, talking to each other. When I would go to the sauna or the or the um, jacuzzi at the gym, it would always be me and all these like elderly Vietnamese men, and they'd just be like socializing. Like a lot of the elderly culture, with Vietnamese culture, seems to have a lot of social aspects where they hang out outside and they kind of just mingle amongst neighbors and members of their community I mean I don't really see that too much with other communities where they're just like just literally chilling in the middle of the day like probably retired or something and they're just like hanging out like you know I go to the Mexican taco shop to grab a to grab a burger to grab a burrito or something or I go you know to fill my gas tank and they're just kind of like chilling with each other the same people all the time, you know, like, I'm not complaining about it, I'm just saying, like, my eyes are open, you know, I see it, and I'm like, there's all this stuff that goes on, and I'm just, like, zooming around, going about my life, and I do try to slow down and look and think about, like, what is going on, like, how did this start happening, or when did this start happening, or what brought these people here, um, what brought those people there, um, I remember when I was at Cal State LA, um, you know, I think it's like, at least it was like 65%, you know, a Latino population university. Um, I learned about it because of the film school. Um, and then I went there for a psychology program and, uh, for grad school. And basically, you know, I remember going to, a a, a speech and it was about the Bracero program, and it talked about, you know, people who um, came to the U.S. Um, for that program and how they were, like, poorly treated and lied to and basically treated like slave labor, and, you know, I don't know how that was legal, but um, they were kind of tricked into it, and I was surprised at how many students um, talked about their own parents like these were people my age who were like yeah my parents came here through that program I had never heard about it up until then and you know it was a lot of Latino population 
um, their parents, so just the generation before, came to that area and were settled living near downtown when they had those people uh, as kids who were students that were about my age range. Um, And it was hundreds of people who had parents who came here. Um, And that's just one school. Like, I don't even know, you know, how big these programs were. But, I mean, it it was one of those um, political incentive type of programs. Um, But, you know, I'm not even talking about all that right now. Like, there's so much to talk about with these types of topics where it's like, you know... um, even Latino culture in general, culture in Mexico in general, you know, a lot of those were indigenous people that, you know, yes, now they speak Spanish because of Spain coming in and doing what they did, and, you know, but they were something else before, you know, and they were just kind of grouped into, oh, they're Mexicans now, Um, but it's kind of like they had other distinct indigenous groups too and just to think okay they went from those indigenous groups to Mexicans to you know some people going to the Bracero program and now living in downtown LA it's like you know downtown LA has a large Latino population uh, East LA in general like when I say downtown I kind of mean East LA Um, it's not really the same thing necessarily because not all of East LA is downtown but Um, I kind of just refer to it as downtown, I guess, but, um, yeah, those are just things to look into, and, like, kind of even, like, the Dodger Stadium, like, the group of people who live there, the Latino population that lived, um, where the Dodger Stadium is now, it's, like, stuff like that, it's, like, there was, like, a whole, you know, culture of people who lived there before they were kicked out and the stadium was built um it's just pretty fascinating that within a couple generations you know the history is like almost it's not fully invisible but it's really not promoted um or taught um or preserved in a way that's like acknowledged publicly on a regular basis And, you know, when I saw Juneteenth, you know, for the second year being celebrated in L.A. and all over the place, but specifically in L.A., um, I was there for both years, the first two years um, that it was ever really celebrated. Um, And, you know, it's a very interesting um, time period. And, um... It's just, um, you know, like if black, if black people can get, you know, Juneteenth to be like something that's recognized, and I don't really know the role of black people, um, how they played a role in, in, in that. I don't know if it was black people or if it was just politicians in general who were just like, oh, we're just going to do this. Um, I think that there's hope for a lot of different nations to have a recognition of, um, you know, their, their part of their history in, in, in society and in this country too. And, you know, at least that way we kind of start learning when it's part of like the mainstream, like, okay, I get a day off, you know, at least I have some time to learn a little bit, like. I get Cesar Chavez Day off at where I work and, you know, MLK Day and now Juneteenth and, you know, there's different types of cultural, um, you know, parts of our history that are kind of linked to all these holidays and we're living right in the middle of, of history, you know, and a lot of times we don't really learn about it, but I do think it is, you know, um, hopeful when there's a when there's actually like holidays and commemoration days um 
where it's like okay like Dia de los Muertos is coming up in LA that's a pretty big celebration um and different things like that where it's like okay it's in it's in it's in you know part of the you know you see it in the newspapers or like you know you see flyers around for stuff and then you kind of start knowing about it and learning a little bit about it even if it's just that time of the year I do think it's important because I think one thing that Americans a lot of us you know kind of struggle with is a lot of us don't really have a connection to our heritage um a connection to you know the heritage of our own like ancestors but I think too you know it's also important to have a connection to the heritage that's around us even if it's not biologically ours um just to know like how we got here you know because at least it links us to some kind of history um and we can kind of always you know trying to become better you know you know as history kind of evolves and you know becomes you know the more that become like that we become like in the current moment like we do we do really tend to kind of uh learn like more and gain um like there is potential to kind of gain more um um what do you call it um education but that's not necessarily what I was gonna say like kind of gain more um kind of strengths so for example I was talking to my mom not that long ago like this morning like when I got back from the gym around um just like maybe around noon maybe just before noon I don't know but um you know I was just kind of making comments about like you know how did you know how did we used to watch certain cartoons like uh I can't remember which one we were saying was kind of like racist or racially charged. There was a there was one that we were saying before, um, but I think we were talking about like oh yeah she was talking about Peppa Le Pew because she said there was a skunk outside and like I was kind of asking like well what was the cat's name in Peppy in that Peppa Le Pew cartoon. And I was like, you know, that's kind of like prejudice against like French people when you think of it, like the idea of like perfumes and the French accent and the stink and just kind of like how it was like obnoxious and smothering and nobody really wanted him around. Like, really? Like if somebody made a cartoon like that today, they'd be like really not (laughs) praised for that. And then I started talking about Speedy Gonzalez, and there was a time in my life when that that cartoon started to bother me because I was just like, "Wait, like they're they're insinuating a lot of things," and I kind of started to notice, you know, like the Speedy Gonzal the Speedy Gonzalez and the Slow Rodriguez characters were Slow Slow Rodriguez is almost always drunk, and like it's like really <laughs> like like these kind of cartoons are like you know I remember watching this kind of stuff and you know we'd laugh and stuff and I do remember even like some other cartoons that had like characters with blackface and like slaves and indentured servant types of people with like their big lips and their dark black skin and like their hair with braids like sticking out all over the place like near the mickey mouse type of era and it's like wow (laughs) like um you think about those kind of cartoons and stuff and you're like um or even like western movies and stuff like that like you think about some stuff like that and you're like people would not really be um too quick to um purchase those those types of things nowadays um and not 
look at it and frown about some parts of it and be like, this is just not okay. You know, like there was that Riverside, um, I think I saw it was about 10 months ago. There was this Riverside um, teacher, I think she was like a middle school teacher teaching about geometry, how they have like Soka Toa. And she was like, (laughs) she made this like construction paper headdress that looked like it was a like a Native American headdress with like paper feathers of different colors like she put some effort into that headdress and was dancing around the room looking like she had like two tomahawks in her hands like chanting so ka toa so ka toa there's a point where she's like dancing around and on the table and on the you know her front desk and just kind of making a fool of herself and this is in a math class like it was on an NBC News um clip where they were saying to they're like this isn't even a sociology class or a history class like and she put some effort into making that headdress like she thought it through a little bit that she's like oh like I'm gonna teach my class about this thing by you know making it like sound like some Native American language chant or something and I was just like what the hell and one of the students in the class had filmed that and recorded it during class because of course you know thank God for smartphones you know he had a smartphone and he was recording it and his main comment was you know at least it was him coming across it in that class and not someone who you know would go out after school and harm themselves or something like that like that was his comment and I'm thinking for a kid to say that as a comment is a very strong um is a very strong comment it's like you know those kind of you know think about all the people who look up to their teachers you know if you're in a class where you're a minority and there's a teacher that's literally making fun of your culture and you could even you can't really see the 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 um the facial expressions of the of the kids in the class but you can kind of see how they're a little bit like nobody's really laughing nobody's really paying like very close like it seemed like they were like you know how there's that fight flight or freeze it seemed like that freeze like discomfort awkward that's the that's the impression I got was like they're like this is my teacher she's doing this weird thing you know she's like chanting around and like acting like a fool and you know they said she was on a leave of absence or something now and like at least then and you know they think it's going to open discussion for you know talking about indigenous peoples and stuff and that was riverside like i was mentioning i was just watching a powwow in san bernardino it's like right there and i'm like I mean, I know this kind of stuff happens, but I'm just thinking, too, I'm like, what part in somebody's mind makes them think, huh, I'm going to create a math lesson that's basically, you know, putting down a whole other culture of people and, you know, um, a math lesson, putting down a whole culture of people um, and, you know, just the fact that she put effort like there was a picture in the background I don't know what it was if it was like an overhead projector or like a projector I don't think they use overheads anymore but like a projector on a whiteboard with a picture of a teepee and like a uh, like some type of indigenous looking person like drawn like like stick figure type drawn on the board and it's like there was some thought that went into this i don't know what kind of thought but not a good thought some kind of ignorant thought that went into creating this lesson where she was trying to drill into the kids heads this sokatoa with like you know the ink sides and angles of of like shapes and, and geometry and stuff um i think it comes from like triangles right um Oh no, it's from trigonometry. It's from trigonometry. Well, and geometry. You use it in geometry too. Um, but like, yeah, for sine, cosine, and tangent. 
um, but yeah, anyways, yeah, but I've never heard, I mean, when I was in school, we just memorized Sokatoa, we didn't have to have, like, a chant in the background and, like, thinking about some, like, indigenous culture or something, like, we, it's not that hard to remember, you know, like, she didn't have to do all that, she didn't have to make weird visuals of another culture that she didn't even know what she was talking about, like, it's not like she even was, like, accurately saying, like, oh, in some culture, these words actually mean this, this thing in this culture or that culture, like, there was no educated information coming from her chanting and dancing and headdress and the little picture on the board and stuff, like, it was just mocking, basically, um, and I don't, I don't think she considered it, I just don't, don't think she thought it through, but I'm like, how, how can you do that, you know, and to have it on a recording, too, where it's like, what the heck, (laughs) you know, like, and these are kids, they're not, like, college students, either, they're, like, younger, they're, they're minors, you know, they're younger than 18 years old, they're probably, like, between like 13 and 16 years old I don't know the exact age range but they were young and I'm like it seemed to me by the silence in that room that they were weirded out by it too um I can't tell people what to watch but if you want to see something cringy as hell that's fucking cringy guys um but I mean I was pretty shocked by it I was pretty shocked by it, um, um, you know, and I didn't do much to search for this stuff, I was just searching for, like, just updated things, and, you know, these are just the things I'm coming across, you know, and the, and the other, the last one I'll talk about is the, the, um, I kind of briefly touched on it about that, um, that Ottawa conference or, you know, um, CBC news reporter who was, um, talking down to the indigenous people of Turtle Island and how they were talking about, like, a genocide there and how Trudeau was, uh, contributing to that or something along those lines. And she was kind of almost making it like sound like oh it's not really a big deal and they tried to like shut her from talking they asked her to leave they kind of tried to tell her just to stop like stop making your comments stop being rude you're being so disrespectful to our culture and you know you're visible you have privilege and they started referring to her as like white lady and you know like they're they're like you are you are a guest here you know you are our guest you know and you don't even know how to talk to us and it was this whole thing you know rightfully so i think rightfully so they wanted to be heard and she was trying to over bully them with her privilege and her you know newscaster privilege being a white woman and then I guess a white guy tries to rephrase that same lady's question and they were like you know look how look how quickly like you know you have support even when you're asking like ignorant things and like being disrespectful um I mean and there were those two women who were up there just like telling her to stop and she kept talking you could hear her in the background like in the seats these two ladies were on the stage there was a third woman up there too but these two ladies came up on the stage and were like no like you need to stop you know and she wouldn't even stop she just kept on talking they asked her to leave they practically kicked her out told her to stop talking told her that she was done she just kept on talking and i'm just like (laughs) what like like I don't know myself being a minority I can't even like imagine being a news reporter being in a room of you know indigenous groups of people asking them a very rude question 
I couldn't I couldn't imagine being in that newscaster's place, but I couldn't imagine me doing it in the first place. And even if I had asked a rude question, I can't imagine myself not being like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I didn't know. Um, I wasn't being culturally sensitive. Like I, I'm learning and I still just don't know like what's disrespectful and I wasn't considering that I was being disrespectful I would at least apologize at the very least even if I couldn't explain myself I would have shut my mouth and apologized she didn't even say sorry she kept on trying to talk and kept on trying to like talk about her ideas and it's like nobody wants to hear your ideas like nobody wants to hear that you know they're here trying to get help for their people that are being killed and going missing and you know young women going missing and all kinds of things like that um in their area in at turtle island and um she just doesn't even seem to care about the fact there's that there's tragedies currently going on that aren't being addressed by their leaders and um she just wants to you know talk about a very one-sided perspective of the government and managers or mayors and politicians in those areas and like why aren't people praising them and it's like dude like like did you even read about what's going on did you even learn about what was going on before you even came into that press conference like I don't know like I haven't even spent a lot of time on this guys like this is like a few minutes you know like the i watched a powwow last night for like a couple hours um started learning some of the certain stuff looking up some of the uh sinking groups um kind of reviewing some powwow information and learning about the san marcos uh, reservation in san bernardino and then started reviewing other areas in LA County that I know about and the indigenous groups there and in San Diego um and then came across a couple like this NBC and the CBC um kind of info in that documentary that's basically all I've I've come across with in mostly today um some of it was last night but I was like I'm pretty pumped up about it so once I get studying on on something even if it's brief you guys know me even if it's brief I'd rather put out a little bit of information on the little that I can gather and the little that I can learn in like a few hours um I feel like if I'm sitting around the house this is what I like to do I wasn't in the mood to play video games I wasn't in the mood to do anything I kind of wanted to use my brain a little bit and just learn some cultural information um and yeah I found it pretty surprising the stuff I'm coming across and how hard it is to research stuff like it's not easy to find um to find stuff um that I'm looking for like I'm googling stuff I'm re-googling stuff I'm finding different titles to google different names to google different types of stuff to look up um to me that is the whole fascinating process of how challenging it is to find information that is right there you know it's right there like we built cities on top of it you know like we're living in the middle of it and you know how come i can't find information on it you know um so it frustrates me. <laughs> Can you tell? Can you tell, guys? I'm I'm a little frustrated. Um, but nonetheless, I'm enjoying my time, you know, searching for stuff. And I hope this is helpful for people. I really would encourage people, if it's of interest to you. It, it, I mean, it is a big, big, big. You know, let's learn about all the cultures. You know, it's a big task to try to take on, but. I feel like when you take on cultural aspects, uh, like when you take on learning about cultural details about where you're from or where you go, 
that's kind of the easiest place to start because it's like very much related to um stuff that you're around on a regular basis it's a little bit easier to kind of try to like think about um what things may have looked like in the past or whatever um and I think it's important I really do think it's important I find it valuable thanks for listening Thank you.